0: Love that bumper. <laughs> welcome to Kingsway. Super glad you're here. If you're visiting with us, first time, or watching online, welcome, welcome. We're in our second week of a series of the book, Songs of Solomon. What the book teaches us is that God cares about relationships. We see this couple come together. We see the growth of their love. We see them get married, and we see them trying to figure out marriage on the other end of that. So we're in week two. So we're in the early stages of their relationship. I promise throughout this series, I will do my absolute best, whether you're married, widowed, single, divorced, never been married, whatever the situation might be, that there's something in each of these messages just for you. So don't give up on me and think, well, I'll come at the end of this. Just keep showing up and let God speak to you. So I remember when I first saw my wife. I remember because I had to work at the college where we met and I worked in the cafeteria, and I was serving food that day, and she came through the line, and the only reason I knew who she was is because she was dating an older guy from our school that I knew, and uh, I recognized him, and was like, well, that's his girlfriend. And I thought, well, she's kinda cute, and I remember laughing and joking uh, while serving them food. Later on, she would sit in front of me in geology class. Ooh, nothing says love like geology. And I remember when I watched the two of them very awkwardly sitting in class together, and I thought to myself, because I sat right behind her, huh, I wonder if something's up there. Later, God would put us on the same, what was called a camp team. A camp team represented the college, it went around to different church camps and churches and, and did various things to try to get the name of the school out and recruit people to the school. A former Kingsway staff member, actually, a lady named Lisa Lewis, for those of you who've been around for a while, remember Lisa, she put us on the same camp team. And what God uh, did in that is basically we had to spend a year figuring out how to really put up with each other. I mean, you got to see each other when you were the, at the highest of highs and the most exhausted of exhausted. When you're doing church camp after church camp after church camp week after week after week. And over time, I didn't just like her. I started to fall in love with her. And that's kind of what we see happening. But I remember this moment where I was like, I don't know. What should I do? Is she the one? Is she not the one? And it brings up a great question. How do you know? How do you know if you found the one? Nowadays, people don't tend to meet because they went to high school together or, or because they went to college together. It can happen that way. Nowadays, a lot of people are meeting through dating apps, I don't necessarily have an opinion one way or another about dating apps. It seems like there's a million of them. I don't know how you use them. And what I hear, I don't know if this is accurate, is that there are way more guys on there than there are girls. And it makes it very, very complicated to try to find someone. And then people aren't always honest in the pictures that they use uh, about what they really look like. They don't always tell the whole story. It just makes it complicated. But some of these apps, the way they work is when you find someone, you really like, you swipe right. And if you find somebody you don't like, you swipe left. And if you swipe right and they swipe right, love is made. And it's perfect. It's like a match made in heaven. Actually, uh, we have a couple in our church who we just recently hired her onto our children's ministry team, and uh, they met through a dating app. And uh, so I just thought we'd share a little bit of their love story. We asked him this question. How do you know? How did you know when you found the one? His response, this is from Josh Cox. Josh says this. "Um, I knew that Becca was the one by her charismatic personality and her love for the Lord. Isn't that sweet? Everybody say it with me. Aw. See, I didn't even have to tell you what to say, right? Now, what we did is we reached out to some couples, some who are newly wed and some who've been doing this for a little while, and uh, we just asked for their thoughts and their feedback to some questions. And I thought I'd share some of their answers to you. So they're coming up on their one-year anniversary. But one thing is consistent in all of these, I thought was hilarious, is uh, the guy gives one-line answers and the girls give longer answers. <laughs> and in the book, Songs of Solomon, the woman speaks first, she speaks last, and she speaks most. So. Becca's response, oh yeah, they were married September 10, 2022. See that? Make sure you tell them happy anniversary. Okay, her response to the same question, how'd you know when you found the one? <laughs> <coughs> oh, goodness. There wasn't this aha moment where everything clicked, but I just watched Joshua's character as he interacted with me, my family and my friends. I listened to how he responded when things didn't go his way. And I saw his heart for people and for the Lord. I noticed a genuine curiosity and a willingness to admit when he was wrong and how quick he was to seek restoration, even in our dating relationship. I prayed about our relationship a lot. (laughs) It won't be the last time. I prayed about our relationship a lot and sought guidance from people who had been married way longer than us. There wasn't a the one moment. But I knew he was the kind of man that I could spend the rest of my life based on based on the character he showed while we were dating and as we sought the Lord together, I knew we could succeed. It's not a sweet response. Don't you love the coxes? Hey, if you if you see Becca today, you should just give her a hug and say, Oh, thank you for sharing. But they do bring up so many great points, right? how do i continue to observe the character of this other person while i'm discerning whether they're the right one or not so this is what we're going to find in today's text and what we're going to find is one of the great joys of the early stages of that dating process is one of the beauties of these early relationships is the pursuit of the other person the pursuit of the other person for those of you who are married, do you remember before you were married all the things that you did to try to show them how important and special they were? I don't maybe maybe you didn't do all the kinds of things I did, but I remember this one time. So uh, my wife and I kind of were friends, and, and again, we were on that camp team. we got to know each other really well. And then we decided to officially start dating. It was late in the spring, I believe it was 1998. Can you believe that I'm that old? Can you believe that? And my wife is still 29? It's amazing how that happens. And anyway, And I remember it because then I did an internship in southern Indiana in the summer of 1998. And uh, and, and she did another year of that traveling team. It was a little bit different version, but that kept us apart. So, right after we started dating, we did this separate thing. And I would be lovesick. I'd be down there at this internship, living in somebody else's house, working with these teenagers. And I didn't know anybody. And we didn't really have cell phones the way we do today. So, we had no way to connect. Not very much. And I'd find out when she was in town, I'd call her school and call her room and hope that I'd get her and get it just right and time it and everything. And we'd stay up and try to connect by phone. And then one day I heard she was gonna be in Cincinnati, which was only like two hours away, three hours away, something like that. So what I did is uh, I, I drove all night and I got there and I had this elaborate plan. I told her, I said, I, I, I planned something special just for you sometime for when you were feeling lonely. That was a half truth. It was uh, planned on the way there. So on the way there, I I, I said, up these little uh, like messages. And each messages went to a different location of some place that we had connected and had something special. And so as she went to each location, uh, she, she had to like decipher the, the clue and then find another location. And at the last location, I was hiding in the trees. Uh-huh. Yeah. And you're surprised. She said, yes, right? I mean, it worked. But it was just this cool. It was funny because she showed up and uh, she had a friend with her because she was afraid to be out in Cincinnati in Price Hill late at night. I can't say I blame her. And uh, anyway, I just remember this special moment of seeing her and then her friend and thinking, "Oh, this isn't going to be quite the cool moment that I was hoping that it would be." And uh, but I saw her and I remember just this special moment. And she felt so special. She felt precious. She felt loved and adored and cherished and important. That's exactly what we're going to see today. Ready? So, Songs of Solomon, chapter one, verse nine. He says, I liken you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. Okay, that may sound really weird to you. You might not want to use this one later today. You'll notice uh, when you see the word, my darling, that's just the way the NIV translates it. There's different words they put in there. But it's like him saying, my sweetie pie, my honey bun, my cupcake. You know, he's, he's trying to pick a word of affection to communicate how he feels about her. And uh, this actually stopped around the second century before uh, Jesus arrives. But for a long time, what would happen is generals or important people in the army, the the ruler, the king, the Pharaoh, they would ride a different colored uh, horse than all the others so that they would stand out. Now, Somewhere along the way, they discovered this was a really bad idea to have the guy in charge stand out. It's like, oh, it's easier to kill him. We know who to aim for now. But this is the way they would do it. So you can imagine perhaps a, a bunch of white horses or brown horses and the opposite color, you know what I mean? Like this idea that you've got a different kind of horse and it's beautiful and it's powerful and it's strong. So among all of the choices that are out there, this one stood out. And that's what uh, the, the king here, the husband, the man is saying about his girlfriend, fiance, ah, of all the choices that were out there, you were the most beautiful, powerful, special. Ah, i love to be with you. And then he goes on, he says, your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewels. The word earring here isn't actually the, the greatest interpretation. It's more like your cheeks are beautiful with ornaments. And again, it's quite possible that it is referring to earrings hanging down and they're highlighting her cheeks and he's just celebrating her beauty and the way she looks. It is also possible it's referring to maybe she has reddish cheeks or, or something like that where she, her face is ornamented, highlighted in some way or another. And he's just celebrating, he just loves her beauty. And so much so that it goes on and there's this refrain we will make you earrings of gold studded with silver. So I've told you throughout the book Songs of Solomon, we see him, we see her, and then we see this chorus of probably her friends talking. And we don't always know. Sometimes it's super clear, like when he says, my darling, that's him talking. Sometimes it's not super clear which one is talking in the Hebrew. But here it appears that he is celebrating her beauty and the friends are listening in and the friends go, oh, we'll make her even more beautiful. Or possibly it's him speaking and saying, I'm going to adore Warn you with even more beauty, to add to your beauty because I love you so much. And imagining whichever way it goes, right? What woman doesn't love when she gets the gift of jewelry? And then it goes on, verse 12, while the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. You're like, what is happening? <laughs> well, The fragrance, again, as I told you last week, would usually be this thing that we would put on to overcome the natural funk of the day. An agricultural society, indoor plumbing was not an option, and so uh, they didn't shower every single day. And so part of what she's saying is, my perfume will spread its fragrance over his presence, but it's even bigger than that because her fragrance is now referring to a bigger thing like her love, her care for him. In fact, she goes on in verse 13, she says, My beloved is to me a satchet of myrrh resting between my breasts. And if you ever thought the Bible was boring, you weren't reading it right. And you're like, This is awkward. This isn't a church service. It's in God's word. So let's unpack it for a minute. First of all, he calls her my darling, my loved one, whatever it is. She calls him my beloved. So when you see beloved, it's referring to her talking to him. When you see my darling in the NIV, it's him talking to her. That's one way we can distinguish their voice. And what she's saying is it was pretty common to carry a necklace with a little bit of, say, perfume or something there. If you remember, she talked about his ointment last week, and the way that he smelled, and the way that uh, that um, awakened in her this love for his character, but also the way that he smelled compared to the other men. Part of what she's just trying to communicate here: is she's going to carry uh, some myrrh on a necklace. It's just there. It's a way to say, "I will always carry you near my heart. You will always be at the center of my chest, so that my thoughts are for you, my mind is for you, my body." is for you. Do you see the way that their love is blossoming? He is adoring her with words over and over and over again. She's responding with words over and over and over again. Do you remember perhaps when you were dating, was this happening? Do you remember using your words to communicate affection? It's one of the key things that makes a relationship grow. Do you remember what it was like to be in their presence and want to hear more about their story? You grew up hanging out with your parents, right, or your siblings, and you went on vacations together, you went on fun days together. This was a good thing. It was a very good thing. But then you met that other person, even if it wasn't the person you married, but all of a sudden you started to pull time away from them to spend more time developing this because you thought, oh, this is exciting and fresh and new. I remember when I was growing up, um, Friday nights was like family night. It was an unspoken family rule. Every Friday night, we did something. We'd go miniature golfing. We'd go to a movie. We'd play a game as a family. We did stuff together. And then at one point, I had a girlfriend, and we started going out on Friday nights. And I remember my sister holding me accountable. She came to me. She's like, Matt, I know you're all excited about this girlfriend that is now in your life. But, you know, Friday nights have been family night for 16, 17 years, whatever it was at that point. And, um, you know, you're always putting us on the back burner. And mom and dad aren't saying anything because they're trying to give you space to grow up and figure out life. Life, but we miss you. And I took that, I took that rebuke from my sister. I think if my parents had said it, honestly, I don't know how I would have received it. But I took that and I adjusted my schedule so that we weren't going out on Friday nights. We were going out more on like Saturday mornings or afternoons or whatever it might be. Because when you start to feel those, uh, those feelings, right? Those joyous, happy, like, ooh, there might be somebody else I'll spend the rest of my life with. You start to spend time together, but that's the point of dating. The point of dating is to spend time together, to discover the kind of person you wanna spend the rest of your life with. Do I want to be with this person? Do I like them? Do I enjoy them? Do I, uh, do, do, I, do I come alive in their presence when I hear their story? Do I feel compassion for them as well as excitement for them? It's a budding relationship. And one of the best ways to grow that is to use your words, to build them up. And oftentimes, when I meet couples who are struggling in their marriage, they've lost that. They've lost that art of pursuit. They've lost that art of using their words to build each other up and encourage each other and pursue each other. And because of that, what began as a face-to-face relationship with lots of conversation going back and forth and what happens over time is it becomes a side-by-side relationship. There's a lot of things to get done, you know, when you're married and especially when you have kids. You gotta clean all the things and you gotta organize all the things and you gotta go to this event and take the kids to this event. You gotta you know, plan this. And get, Oh, by the way, we're gonna do vacation and then you need a vacation from your vacation because you come back and you're exhausted because you did all these things. And then over time, if you don't ever get back together to connecting in this way, eventually you'll end up opposed to each other. And way too many people end up in this relationship. And the way that we change. So if you're in this place and you're back to back, is you have to come back together and say hey can we just talk i miss you i love you and she goes on oh, my beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms from the vineyards of Engedi i mean nothing makes a man feel more powerful than this <laughs> henna blossoms serve a lot of different purposes. They're actually used for dyes because of their bright orange colors. People use them still to this day for hair dye and even clothing dye and other things like that. But more important than its usefulness, it has to do with the way that it smells. And it has this very strong, sweet aroma. And she's saying, my, my beloved, when he is with me, Whew. she's not just talking about the way that he smells, she's talking about the way that he makes her feel. And he responds, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful your eyes are, doves. They're just these beautiful creatures. If anything, I want to call you back to that kind of place in your relationship. Another couple in our church uh, Brett and Lindsay wrote. We asked them the question, how do you know? How do you know when you found the one? Brett's response was this. <coughs> we just clicked right away, and it just felt right. Again, not making fun of any of the guys who are giving short answers. We asked them a question. They answered the question. But, right, but Brett's not telling us all the backstory, but I'm going to guess there's a backstory. Perhaps there were girlfriends or other girls that he knew from school or church or wherever, and they didn't click. But then he met Lindsay, and it did click. Things were just going well. Her response, a little bit more detailed, she said, I knew Brett was the one because I had never wanted to spend all of my time with a person before. When I was with my friends, I was thinking about when I would see him again. We had so much fun together. It might be a good time to just stop and pause for a minute Say, okay, if you're married The key to a happy marriage is continue to do that, right? Continue to be a place and a person where the other person wants to spend time with you again. And part of the way we get that done is is using our world, words to build each other up and encourage each other and, and not make cutting comments and not make slights. And, and if you need to have a hard conversation, have it, but we aren't doing it passive aggressively and just throwing things out or nagging each other or annoying each other or picking at each other, but we're back to pursuing each other again. And if you're dating and you want to find somebody that you want to spend the rest of your life with, it's got to be in this context of a relationship where you are speaking words of love and affirmation and getting to know and to build each other up. But the more you do that, it's going to do something in you. It's going to awaken something in you. Something's going to come alive. Because all of this intense pursuit and conversation back and forth creates the perfect scenario for explosive passion. And you know what I'm referring to. And we're going to get there by the end of this today, just a little bit. In fact, her response in verse 16, how handsome you are, my beloved. Oh, how charming. And our bed is verdant. I didn't even know what that word meant. Maybe you did. My wife knew what it meant because she's way smarter than me. Valedictorian in high school, summa cum laude in, in college. Like I, I married up. I married a very smart woman and I use Google. So I looked up the word and it means green very simply. In fact, if you look at other translations, they will just put the word green in there. But this is a unique poetic thing that's happening in their relationship. Part of what she's saying is our our bed is green. Our bed is flourishing. In other words, our relationship, it's growing, it's thriving, it's healthy because of all this back and forth loving talk that we're doing with each other. We're having conversation with each other other thing that's happening, and this is beautiful, and I wish I had another hour. I joke about this, but this is garden language. Part of the reason why the church for years has uh, diagnosed and interpreted this book through the lens of a, a metaphor between Jesus and the church is because there is this thing going on that, that is very poetic, and it's in the background. And here in this chapter, we see it in other places, there's a lot of mm. garden language And if you don't know anything about the garden, it's a really important thing in the Bible. When God created everything on his earth, he made a garden. Then he put Adam from the dust of the earth inside the garden, outside the garden he made Adam, put him inside the garden. It was a beautiful place created for Adam. But then Adam was lonely because... all the other animals had a counterpart. All the male lions had a female lion. All the male elephants had a female elephant. Whatever exact animals were in the garden, I don't know, but you get the point. And Adam becomes sad, and God's like, what's wrong? And he's like, all these other animals have another. I don't have another. I don't have another one like me. So God put Adam in a deep sleep and, and took out his rib from his side, and he made Eve. And I've said this before. If he had taken something, say a hair off the top of his head, Eve would have been over Adam. If he had taken something, Say something like a toe off his foot, then which is weird to think about. But if he had done that, then Eve would have been beneath Adam. But God pulled Eve out of Adam's side, and He made them two equals. And He says, "A man and a woman." And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother, and the two shall become one flesh. And they frolicked in the garden. And it says, I believe it's I believe it's Genesis chapter one verse twenty six. It might be two twenty six. I think that's the right place. It says that Adam and Eve were naked and had no shame. And the whole idea in the garden is there was no sin in the world to make them feel uncomfortable or unsafe in each other's presence. So, part of what Songs of Solomon is doing is it's taking us back to garden imagery on purpose and it's showing us the passion of these two people who, in each other's presence, is starting to build and get explosive and they really want to be together as one flesh and they're back in a garden kind of moment. But the thing is, it's not perverse at all, it's beautiful. It's the growing and the flourishing of these emotions and their love together. In fact, verse 17 says the beams of our house are cedars, our rafters, are firs. These are trees. So what they're saying is they're describing we're out in a garden. And part of what I love about that, and I really want you to get this single, people. What I'm not saying is is, uh, take things out into the public and be intimate there. What I am saying is be very careful where you're alone because out in public, anybody could see them. There would be natural accountability to their relationship so that they wouldn't act on their desires to be together until it's time. That's why they publicly date and they don't go home and turn down the lights and shut the blinds and shut the garage when nobody else is around. They don't find a car at the edge of the parking lot. One night when our, bu- our offices were on the opposite side of the parking lot, I came in late at night to grab something from my office, and there was a car out there with the windows steamed. And I thought, you know, it's Indiana. I don't know who's got an open carry license. So uh, I just went and parked my car right next to theirs. <laughs> Sat in my car for a little bit. Got out, got my stuff out of the building, came back to my car, made a lot of noise. That car didn't stay real long. I didn't have to call anybody or do anything super awkward. They just kind of left. But right, if you're finding empty, dark parking lots, probably something's up. And not something that's going to actually help your relationship or something that God has called you to. See, even though all of this back and forth language of love is going on, she doesn't feel like a piece of meat. She doesn't feel like somebody to be used and abused. She feels precious and special and adored. She says in chapter 2 verse 1, "I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys." She's communicating, "I feel special. I feel beautiful when I am with him. I don't feel used. I feel precious." Verse two, like a lily among thorns is my darling among the young women. So she says, you make me feel special. You make me feel important. And his response is, oh, because you are special. Because you are important. And then something happens. See, the safer she feels, the more valued she feels, the more important and adored, and the more he celebrates her beauty, the more she starts to desire him. In fact, verse three, like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved. Among the young men, I delight to sit in his shade and his fruit is sweet to my taste. I've heard other pastors truly pervert this verse and that is too bad, it's sad. I'm not going to do that. Simply what she's doing in this is she's celebrating. (laughs) When we bought our house, we bought a house in an older neighborhood. There were a lot of trees. And uh, I cut down three apple trees in the first, uh, I don't know, two years because there were just apples falling everywhere. And I didn't want to deal with them. But when I finally cut down the last one, there was a moment of sadness because we had all these different maples and I don't even know all the kinds of trees. We had all these different trees. And in the neighborhood, there were lots of trees And an apple tree really does stand out. It's got a different kind of flowers and a different kind of fruit, and that's part of what she's saying. Same thing he's saying to her, the same way that you're the rose among, or the lily among the fields or whatever it is, the way you're unique, she's saying the same thing. You are special. You are like an apple tree and a forest full of anything but fruit trees and oh, I can't wait to be in your presence and and eat of your fruit. This has to do with all of his life and his character. I love to be with you. I love the way I feel with you. I love the way you, you make me feel when I'm in your presence. I long to be with you. I long to sit under your shade because when you're with me, I feel so safe, loved, valued, adored. Tommy Nelson in the book, uh, his book, The Book of Romance, he says this, The woman felt completely safe in Solomon's presence. I sat down in his shade with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. She was entirely at ease with Solomon. She experienced no threatening or unsettling moments in his presence. He goes on, The apostle Paul told us that a man should nourish and cherish his wife. The woman experienced that in their premarital relationship. In his shade, she was cherished. By his fruit, she was nourished. And note, he says, this must start before marriage. Never trust a future mate to do a turnaround after marriage. And that message may land in a painful place for some of you. So let's just apply this really quickly. One, if you're not married yet and you're in a relationship and you don't feel safe, this person hurts you in some form or fashion. You don't feel like they're honest with you. Why are you in this relationship? I don't have time to unpack this right now. So I just, I'm gonna trust the power of the spirit to communicate this and and to go deeper with you in your heart here. But there's something called like codependency. Like, are you getting something from them that only God can give to you, so therefore you can't let go of them? If this person uses you or abuses you, let us help you figure out how to get out of that. Don't assume that one day, if he puts a ring on it, or if she says yes, and we get married, that it's just suddenly gonna change. If they're gonna change, they're willing to change now. Have a hard conversation you might find out that they don't know how they're coming across to you. You might find out they don't care. Huge difference between the two. If you're married, again, how are you making this person that you committed your life with feel safe? Do they feel built up? Do they feel special? Are you celebrating and highlighting all the things that you love about them? Or do you use your words to condescend and cut and to nag and to tear down? Another uh, young couple in our church answered this question. How do you know you found the one? I love this, Ben and Shauna Fulbright, married October 12, 2020. Actually, they talked about coming here during our last trip through Songs of Solomon, and then they stayed because it was so helpful to them. So hopefully it'll still be helpful. Anyway, he said in answering the question, I knew that Shauna was the one I wanted to marry when I started wanting to see her every day more so than my family. I believe I began to fall in love with Shauna when we would talk about philosophy and the general state of the world, very much a male way to look at things, right? He enjoyed that deeper, thicker conversation, and she enjoyed it too, and he found her to be a fun sparring partner. Her response was this, I've never really believed in the concept of the one. I don't think any relationship, romantic or otherwise, is simply predestined to work out. You have to be intentional about building relationships. You can't just expect them to fall into your lap and be perfect. That said, I do remember very clearly the first time that I thought to myself, I could marry this man. The funny thing is, I started that day assuming that our relationship was over. For quite some time, I had been harboring anger toward Ben. It was a mixture of menial annoyances, like the fact that he always picked the music we listened to, <clears throat> to moderate frustrations, like the jokes he made that I found offensive, and serious concerns, like the big temper that he sometimes carried. The problem was, I hadn't told him any of my frustrations because I assumed that if I did, our relationship would be over. I thought those frustrations were mine to bear alone, but about a year into our relationship, I finally decided it was time to have that conversation. We sat down together, and I opened up to him about the small annoyances. And much to my surprise, it turned out he didn't even know those things had been bothering me at all. The things that I thought were deal breakers were actually just miscommunications. I was still nervous to talk about the bigger concerns, but he encouraged me to continue sharing. So I told him about those moderate frustrations, and we talked through them until we understood each other better and had a plan for how to meet in the middle. At that point, I was still scared to talk about the big concerns I had but he had been so gentle with the little things that I started to feel like maybe I could trust him with the bigger things. And then the last slide, I think. (laughs) Nope, there's one more after this. (laughs) But I don't want you to miss this, because see, okay, we joke about it, but listen, what she's saying, literally, so one of our staff members said, when I read what she said, I thought that is exactly what I would say if I were gonna answer this question. So I know that some of you, She says, he encouraged me over and over again to open up, and he even thanked me for it. He explained that he valued my opinion, even of his character. So when I brought up concerns, it was an opportunity for him to assess himself and grow as a person. He also pointed out something obvious that I, like so many before me, had failed to recognize, which is that your partner isn't going to know what's bothering you if you don't tell them we talked for hours, me laying out my frustrations for the first time, him apologizing and seeking further clarity, and both of us assessing our responses to the other. And then, lastly, and the whole time we talked, I felt my heart open up as I realized how full of humility and patience he was. Where I expected him to prickle with pride, he took, only took responsibility and apologized. Where I expected him to shut me down, he only encouraged me to share my frustrations further. I thought to myself, with communication like this, we could work through anything. I could marry a guy like that. Sure enough, that communication has been core to our relationship ever since. Isn't that awesome? Can we just stop and say, thank you, God? <clears throat> but what I'm hoping is happening in this moment is the Holy Spirit is convicting you to stop and think and evaluate your own relationship. Like what would happen in your relationship today if you were to use your words to make the other feel totally safe? Are you doing that? I want to build to the very next thing and then close in a very unique place, okay? So what happens next as all this back and forth is occurring in chapter two, verse four, she says, let him lead me to the banquet hall and let his banner over me be love." The banquet hall, now their, their, their relationship is not just going to a public out on the garden. They're going to go into a place and celebrate together. And the whole idea of a banner is anything that was under the banner was under that, that heading, right? So Israel would go into battle with this banner over them. And she's saying, let, let us go into this world with this banner of love over me. And then she says in verses 5 and 6, strengthen me with rais- <clears throat> raisins. Refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. But notice this his left arm is under my head and his right arm embraces me. What position are they in? If his left arm is under her head and his right arm embraces her, they could be in some sort of awkward standing kiss. It's possible. Or they could be laying down and he is propping himself up on one arm and perhaps they're laying sideways and she is against him and he's expressing himself to her. This is a very intimate embrace, regardless of whether it's standing or laying down, right? I love the Bible does this. I do. I love the Bible does this because it doesn't make it weird or dirty. But we read it and we make it dirty, because we naturally insert the world that we live in and all the images and the videos and the things that we've seen in Hollywood and other things, and we just insert them into this moment. This is a beautiful expression, but there's a danger in this, right? As soon as your bodies get this close together, what is the natural next step? Exactly. I don't have to say it, do I? Some of you whispered it. Shh. there's children in the room. But the very next verse, verse seven says, oh, daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the doves of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. The until it so desires is something more like until it's time. And the whole idea here is, I know with all this back and forth affection and words, I know that you're building each other up and telling how amazing you are. You're like one and the only, oh, I love you so much. All these affections are going and now you're physically in that place where you're ready to give yourselves to each other, but just wait, it's not time yet because you weren't married. And people say all the time, I literally just saw a video on Facebook the other day, and it said, there's not a single verse in the Bible. This is a supposed pastor. There's not a single verse in the Bible that says you are not to have sex until you're married. I went, what Bible are you reading? That's exactly what this verse means. That's exactly what this verse means. It's not time because these two have not yet stood at an altar and committed before God and others that they would give themselves to each other. So listen, the same God who created passion for marriage also created the power for restraint until it's time. So you can have both the desire and the self-control. You can have both until it's time. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, Paul says, For the Spirit of God... The spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but he gives us power, love, and what's the last word? Self-discipline. So listen, you've got to believe that you can say no even when your body says yes. You have the power within you through the power of God to say no when you wanna say yes. But here's where I wanna end today, and I'm gonna do this quickly because I want you to have a moment with God that's more important than any words I could say. Some of you are in this room and however you got here widowed divorced or single never been married perhaps there's relationships being built and those relationships are starting to get hot and heavy maybe they've even gone too far you've gone past where we just said you should be going i want you to set today is the day that you come back that you re-establish a boundary with you and this other person who you love and have great affection and feelings for if they won't go with you, then break off the relationship. I'm that serious. God must be first. And if you're in a relationship with somebody who doesn't care what God says, that's not somebody you wanna spend the rest of your life with. That's not somebody you wanna build an eternal relationship with. That's not somebody you wanna raise a family with. If you can't trust them to honor God then, how can you trust them down the road with any other decision when they go on a business trip or, or when they're handling the finances? If they can't do what God says is right now, why do you think they're gonna change and do it later? So I would prefer that men be the leaders in the relationships that do this. But if you're the woman in this room and you're hearing this and you're convicted, I want you to do it. Don't wait for him. And then let him choose whether to walk with the Lord and walk with you and win your heart and make you feel safe or not. Same thing for the men. It's both. James says this therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture say without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he's caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That's the good news, right? So if you've gone too far, he gives us more grace. That's why scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. All I'm trying to do in this moment is call you to humility. So then he goes on, he says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Come near to God. He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. You double minded. Double minded means in one moment I worship God and say, God, here I am. You can have all of me. And then the next moment I say, All of me but this. I'm double minded. I want my cake and eat it too. And God says, Look, do you want me or do you want this? So the last thing, James says, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. So here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to close. Um, I want to call you into a moment of humility. And I know this may not be easy. And if you're visiting with us, would you just give us grace? God gives us more grace and come back again next week. But here's where I want us to look. If you are doing things sexually and intimately that you are not supposed to be doing, Perhaps you're married and you're doing something or fostering a relationship with somebody else. You should not be doing that. Perhaps you're single and you're allowing it to go too far, whether you're widowed, divorced, whatever your story is. Let this be a comeback to God moment, a reestablishing of the boundaries with this person moment. And if they walk away, let God be the one who cares for you. And I want to throw out one last challenge, and this may seem weird to some of you. Some of you, though, were Christians when you were dating your now spouse. And you knew what was right and what was wrong, and you did what was wrong anyway. You went too far. And perhaps you were cavalier or arrogant, and you thought, eh, it's no big deal. I'm going to marry him. I'll make it right later. But see, the problem with that attitude is, did you ever have a conversation with God where you said, God, I'm sorry that I didn't put first what you desired? Because that attitude, if it's never dealt with, it grows over time and then this arrogance becomes a burden and a barrier between you and God. So what I wanna do is I just wanna spend the next few moments just, I wanna give everybody, married or single, however you got to where you are, if you were not faithful to what God called you to do, I want to put you in a place where you have an honest conversation with God and you say, God, I did some things I knew I wasn't supposed to do, will you forgive me? And we are told that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and will forgive us. So I just put a little prayer together and you can use this prayer, use your own words, I don't care. But I wanted to help try to help you verbalize what this might sound like. To say, God, I didn't honor you and I knew I should have. So here, let's, let's just pray this together, right? You can close your eyes and say whatever else you want. Father in heaven, I know you are here with me. I know you love me. I know you want what's best for me. And I believe that all your ways are good. I have not always resisted temptation when I knew I should. I have sinned against you and I confess this to you. I ask you to forgive me, heal me, and take away my sin. In the name of Jesus, I pray.